Asia-Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia-Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the 2nd of June. You're listening to Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna and I'm taking you through to 9.30 this morning. A big thank you to Annie McLaughlin for another great show of Solidarity Breakfast. And of course, the track that we just went out with was Kutcher Edwards' Stand Strong. Coming up in the second part of today's program, I will be speaking with Sonia Randawa. Actually, this is an interview I did a couple of weeks ago following the supposed victory of Mahathir um, or the presidency of Mahathir in Malaysia. Um, And uh, you'll recall, listeners who regularly listen to the show, we spoke with Irene Xavier, who was an activist, um, is an activist in Malaysia. Um, She was one of the former detainees under the ISA, the Internal Security Act. Um, And we did an analysis um, again a couple of weeks ago about the Malaysia elections. And one of the things I put to these comrades was, is Malaysia asleep? This is not a victory. Um, And so I'm playing you the second part of that discussion about, you know, the positive aspects um, or what there is to look forward to or what uh, the victory of Mahathir actually symbolises for the Malaysian people. So that is what's coming up in the second part of the show. But of course, listeners, Radiothon starts uh, on Monday. So, or actually, it's, uh, yes, Monday. Um, so I'm going to play some community announcements about Radiothon just to get you thinking and listening and shaking out your pockets. The so 3CR needs you. Fight for your mic and donate to 3CR's annual Radiothon. 3CR Radiothon 2018. Fight for your mic. Radiothon starts June 4th. Time is ticking. Spend two minutes to save public housing in Victoria. This week, email david.davis at parliament.vic.gov.au. Ring him on 98276655 and tell him to support the motion to block the government's public housing renewal program planning amendment. For more info, emails and phone numbers, see the Public Housing Defence Network's Facebook page. A 3CR supporter. Yeah, I just thought I'd chuck in a community announcement there about defending public housing, one of the most um, important campaigns, and I think people won't know what will hit them if we actually lose public housing in relation to um, not just the increase of numbers of homeless people on the streets, but the increased um, number of people with mental health issues and people with drug addiction issues that aren't going to be able to secure housing and uh, that's ultimately going to cost us more money to support them. But it is time now for news from around the region. We're going to kick off in Jordan. 
Um, There have been nationwide strikes in that country. Tens of thousands of Jordanians went on strike and held demonstrations in many cities in Jordan on Wednesday last week to protest against a proposed law that would see a major increase in taxes that will hit them hard at a time when they're already struggling. These taxes are part of new laws which follow key conditions of a three-year IMF economic program. These protests were the largest in many years and involve workers from the health, education, financial, public sector and professional sectors. Protest slogans included, the people want the fall of the government and I strike today to live tomorrow. So it looks like things are really heating up in Jordan Uh, particularly with uh, the shared border with Palestine. Um, And, of course, uh, as I... I don't think I mentioned on the program last week, um, but the the great return march that the protest series, which was scheduled to end on Al-Nakba, the 15th of May, those protests are still continuing. So yesterday was the 10th mobilisation. Moving now to South Korea, I did let you know last week that Han Sung Kyun was scheduled to be released. He has been released. He was released on the 21st of May um, after, and he was freed after serving two years, five months and 12 days in prison on charges stemming from protesting at the against the corrupt Park, Park Geun-hee government. And of course, we know that Park Geun-hee was ultimately um, indicted uh, and that arose after the candlelight movement, which ushered in the President Moon Jae-in government. Um, Han Sung-kyun um, uh, spent one year and 12 days uh, before after uh, President Moon was elected and his parole was decided on. So um, he's out technically on parole now. When he was released from prison, there was there were um, major, major, well, not protests, but a welcoming party for him. There were slogans, there were, there were banners that read, our President Han Sung-kyun, you really struggled, we love you so much. The large banner was prepared by the Sung-yong Motor chapter of the Korean Metal Workers Union and of course, um, Han Sung Kyun previously served um, time in prison for the dispute at Sung Yong Motors in 2009. KCTU members, family members of the victims of the Seawall ferry sinking, and figures from progressive parties and the religious community all stood out in front of the centre to celebrate his release. It is worth noting, though that in South Korea there are still a lot of uh, politically conscious prisoners or political prisoners, along with Lee Yongju, Yang Oki. The president of the Korean Construction Worker Union is under detention for organising a massive protest for construction workers' rights. Others are being imprisoned for violation of the national security law based on the outdated ideological confrontation at the time of peace in Korea's peninsula. So all of this is happening. Han Sung Kyun's being released. Um, Moon Jae-in has decided to uh, decrease the minimum wage and we've got the negotiations between North and South Korea. It's a very, very politically tumultuous time in that country's history. So it will be interesting to see the way those workers um, develop their struggle given those pressures. 
There has been a new report that exposes gender-based violence in the garment sector. This week, a global coalition of trade unions, worker rights and human rights organisations released two groundbreaking factory-level research reports documenting gender-based violence in H&M and GAP's Asian garment supply chains. The research was undertaken between January 2018 and May 2018 in nine garment production hubs across five countries in Asia. Those countries are Bangladesh, Cambodia, Indonesia, India and Sri Lanka. The report documents the widespread sexual harassment and violence that workers endure while working in the supply chain for these companies. It includes physical violence, verbal abuse, coercion, threats and retaliation and routine deprivations of liberty, including forced overtime. When we say routine deprivations of liberty, we actually mean the gates to the factories are locked so people can't leave. The evidence is quite clear that these are not isolated incidents but gender-based violence in the H&M and Gap garment supply chains um, and that this is a normal part of business, uh, part of the business model and a way to repress workers and undermine organising attempts. The coalition of those trade union groups calls on H&M and Gap to take immediate action to end the violence and harassment that women garment workers are forced to endure daily. Moving now to the Philippines. In late May, solidarity protests were held in the Asia-Pacific region in support of the Filipino workers' movement. Filipino workers in the period of July 2016 to March 2018 have faced 141 extrajudicial killings, 29 of whom were trade union leaders and agricultural worker activists. Over a, a, a thousand illegal arrests, with 297 resulting in in detention and 6,000 indiscriminate gun shootings. Of course, we know that this is a part of Duterte's um, supposed war on drugs, which is ultimately about crippling the workers and protest movement. In addition, workers responding to everyday problems are harassed and often arrested. An example was a general secretary of the transport workers organization, Piston. So Piston, these are the guys that run, the, that drive those jeepneys. Um, so he was arrested and put under t- detention for a two day transport strike against the jeepney phase out. On the 23rd of May, uh, that marks the one year anniversary of Duterte's declaration of martial law in Mindanao. Philippine Army Infantry Battalion 66 raided a workers' strike at Shinsun Tropical Fruits, a banana plantation, and arrested workers there. So that was in Davao City in in Mindanao. Labor activists expressed their grave concerns over the human and trade union rights violations by the government of President Rodrigo Duterte in the Philippines. Moving now to India. Officials in the southern Indian state of Tamil Nadu have now ordered the closure of a major copper smelting plant on the 23rd of May. The State Pollution Control Board then disconnected electricity supply to the unit on Thursday morning. The order came after police killed 13 people amid days of protest by residents in the poor city of Tutikoran. Residents have been protesting against it for months as a copper smelter had been causing environmental damage by polluting groundwater in the area and threatening the fishing industry. Amnesty International have said police had many questions to answer and those responsible should be brought to justice. The 
Chief Minister of Tamil Nadu has ordered a judicial inquiry into the shootings but defended the police's response. The opposition Congress party has described the deaths as a brutal example of state-sponsored terrorism and that these citizens were murdered for protesting against injustice. In Turkey, last month, the Turkish Regional Appeals Court on Wednesday approved a prison sentence of 16 years handed down by a local court to pro-Kurdish People's Democratic Party Deputy Idris Balukan. The um, the Deputy Balukan, who was a member of the Imrali delegation during the Kurdish issue settlement process launched by then Prime Minister Recep Tayyip Erdogan, he was arrested on the 4th of November in 2016. He's been found guilty of membership in a terrorist organisation. At the same time, uh, another regional court has approved jail sentences for another four members of this pro-Kurdistan organisation. Those people are Leila Guven, Tayyip Tamel, Musa Faris Gulari uh, and Pera excuse me, Pera Dundar. They were detained in 2009 as a part of an investigation into the Kurdistan Communities Union and were sentenced to prison in March 2017. They're all scheduled to stand as parliamentary candidates in the upcoming SNAP elections on June 24. So, uh, well, they were scheduled to and now they're serving further jail sentences. So the repression in Turkey continues to increase. Actually, the repression right across the world continues to increase. All the more reason for an international workers' movement. It's 13 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. Some community announcements and then our feature interview for the morning. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Sonia Randawa is a an activist in Malaysia. She was one of the people that sat on the committee that formed the Bursay movement back in 2007. The Bursay movement, of course, as listeners will remember, um, was the movement calling for clean and fair elections. Bursay literally means clean in Malay. In uh, yes, Malay. I spoke to Sonia about the election of Mahatia. This interview was conducted a couple of weeks ago, so obviously there have been some developments. Um, There is a reference to the release of uh, Anwar Ibrahim. Um, So I think I say that he was released a day or so ago. Obviously that was now two weeks ago. Here's Sonia Randala. It has to be put in the context of us having had the same party rule over us and no change of government at all, or even the slightest hint of the possibility of change of government, really, for 60 years. 
And just the idea that we can change the government, that the people can change the government, is one that's really heady if you've never been able to do it before. And I have to admit, I'm caught up in it. Why do people think this is a change of government? It looks to me like the ruling party just changed its name. Um, If you look at the people who are in the cabinet, who Mahathe has already appointed, um, two of them were sent to prison together in the late 80s. They were people who have spent most of their lives not not looking at Anwar, not looking at Anwar's family, um, Anwar being the former deputy prime minister who was also put to jail by Mahathir, but looking at people like Lim Guaneng, who is now the minister of finance or will probably be the minister of finance. Um, he spent time in prison for speaking about the rights of girls not to be raped. Um, he spent time in prison for being an opposition politician. And it was all Mahathir that put him there. And yet he's standing as the most likely candidate as minister for Minister of Finance. So there are people in power um, now that we never thought would be in government. Why the sudden change of politics on Mahathir's from his perspective? I don't buy into this rhetoric of sudden change of politics. I think that Mahathir is very concerned about his legacy. And it's still a continuation of, I'm the only one that knows how to rule this country. So I don't think he's changed very much in that regard. I think that he... Um, was very concerned that his legacy was going to be this kleptocratic, completely corrupt prime minister that we've had for almost a decade now. And that's not what he wanted. But as I say, he still thinks he is the only person that can save Malaysia. And so I'm not sure, I'm still not convinced that he has changed, but the people around him are not the same people that were around him when he was in power. And also, it's no longer the racially-based ruling coalition that we've had, as I say, for 60 years. Except that with the ousting or the split of pass from the opposition force, um, the opposition team needed to pull a rabbit out of its hat in order to win the Malay vote, and Mahathir was the way that they did that. Yes, but I'm not quite sure what your point is. That they that needed it's still racially based. The no, the there is a big difference between having parties whose reason for existing is to represent the interests of a racial group and a coalition of parties, some of which are predominantly Malay and some of which are predominantly Chinese, but they don't have written into their constitutions that we represent only the interests of this particular group. And I think that is a major shift, and hopefully one that is going to mean that we can start talking about the interests of Malaysians and people living in Malaysia, um, being well aware that there is a huge migrant population that are not being reflected in this election. Um, that, But it's a way forward to talk about issues and concerns in a frame that's not always about race. In the last few years, we have seen an ever-growing Bursay movement, a movement for clean and fair elections. Mm. Um, of course, this is no doubt why people are celebrating the finally the election of the opposition party. But we also saw some tactics, Mahathir's tactics, that in many respects kind of killed off Bursay. 
the approach the, to Ambiga, the approach to Tian Shua, and basically to turn Bursay rather than a grassroots movement for clean and fair elections into an election vehicle itself. Um, I think that that's a problem that people within Bursay are very well aware of. Um, but I'm not sure that it was actually a strategy of Mahathir's um, as opposed to... I mean, Tian Chua was a politician before Bursay um, even started up. The So Bursay started off, and I was on the original steering committee, so there may be some bias there. Bursay started off actually being driven by the um, opposition political parties. And it was only in 2007 that it became a more grassroots-based um, movement when the political parties were asked to stand aside and they were not allowed to have a role within the steering committee. And that is still the case. Um, Ambiga is still not being... Ambiga took over as chairperson after that and she has not stood for election, although she was reportedly... There were rumours going around that she was thinking about it. However, the most recent chair, Maria Chin Abdullah, did stand under the opposition logo in the last election. And I know that there were a number of people who welcomed that because of her feminist credentials. She is the head of a feminist organisation in Malaysia. Um, but it did make it difficult to argue that Bursay was a non-partisan organisation. At the same time, the when we compare even the 2018 election to the 2013 election, the last general election before this... The number of people that were that stood up, the reports of people standing up in the polling stations doing things like demanding clean ballot papers because often the ballot papers had smudges strategically placed on them. Um, the number of the ways in which the polling and counting agents were able to try and safeguard the election that's all due to the activism over the past well since two thousand and seven really that Bursay has been engaged in. So I think that this election would not have been possible and would have been lost if it hadn't been for that increased awareness of the people's rights in terms of electoral politics and what to do in the voting booth, what your rights are in terms of things like, as I say, a clean ballot paper and things like that. For all of the excitement, the excitement that you yourself share, but the opposition party this year excluded the left. The left has in the past been inside that coalition and this year, and, and you know, some of those past coalitions have been very uncomfortable with past. For listeners who don't know, that's the Islamist party. Um, this year, of course, PSM was excluded. Other small left groups were excluded. Why? I don't know. I, I am certainly not a spokesperson for the opposition parties in Malaysia. And I find it very troubling, particularly the exclusion of Dr. Jayakuma, who has been the sitting MP for two terms in Sungai Siput and had done a remarkable job as the people's representative there. Um, I think that it may well have been a condition of Mahathir and joining in with the coalition and that the number of votes that he brings with him, unfortunately, outweigh that. And I have a problem with that. Um, I think that PSM, I'm hoping that what we see from PSM is that they are able in this new climate where it's, if the 
opposition, the, if the now new government sticks to their promises and we're doing our best already to try and make sure that that happens, particularly in terms of things like freedom of expression, um, freedom of information and media freedom, which are my main areas of interest, main, not only. Um, if they do stick to those goals, then there will be a much fairer platform available for left-wing parties and hopefully we'll be able to see PSM um, achieve what it deserves and become a major opposition force. It gets no press coverage in Malaysia at all. It may as well not exist for the amount of media coverage it gets in Malaysia. So if it is able to um, have its own party organs distributed freely to the people, for example, or to be able to be invited into community radio stations. I'm pushing hard for legislation that um, allows for a third tier of broadcasting of community media. That would all be very exciting. And I think that, as you say, the exclusion of PSM was because the Mahathir in particular has always had a problem with the left. Um, when you look at the things that he has written... Um, he sees the left and the Islamists as being pretty much the same thing. I mean, in a way that you can almost see sort of trickling out from Indonesia as well. These are the two big bad guys. There's the religious right and the left. And I don't see that we're going to have hugely progressive economic policies under this government. When you look at, they've appointed a council of elders, they've called it, of economic advisors, and of them, and including this finance minister who I mentioned earlier, um, there's one progressive, um, one guy who has really interesting economic policies, but I really don't see him lasting too long in the face of the other five, basically. I mean, it's it's very good that you mentioned all of Mahathir's attacks against the left um, because it is the left that I'm critical of in relation to their celebration of this supposed victory because, of course, what ultimately we want to see is a free and organised labour movement in Malaysia, which he was instrumental in smashing and in, and instrumental in smashing by arresting the leaders of that movement and putting them in prison under the Internal Security Act when many of them were tortured. The result of that torture being immobilising them, making it impossible for them to organise even after their release. One of the people that Mahatia um, was instrumental in seeing the incarceration of is supposedly the the next Prime Minister, um, who was released actually yesterday, Anwar Ibrahim. So these, these framed evidence, these um, charges of homosexuality, these sorts of things. Which is a crime in Malaysia, just for listeners who don't know. How are we to understand the promises in relation to Anwar Ibrahim? I mean, firstly, it exposes, as un, uh, excuse me, exposes Anwar Ibrahim as not a friend of the left. Tian Shua, who many activists internationally campaigned for his release when he was arrested. Tian Shua also probably not a... a <laughs> you don't like this? No, 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 no. It's not that I have a problem with this. I think that um, you're quite right that... The, the new government is not going to be a friend of the left. What, but this is the best chance we have had since, my, since I was born, a couple of years ago, um, <laughs> since I was born, for 
institutional reform that makes things like organising possible. The debate that's going on, for example, there's been a lot of members of parliament, particularly at the state levels, who are part of the formerly ruling, ruling coalition, who are trying to hot parties. And so they they know that they're no longer in power. They still want to keep on to the spoils. They want to join the new government that are forming. And the discussion around the anti-hopping law seems to be revolving around whether or not banning hopping from one party to another would be an infringement of freedom of association. Now, it's really hard to understand how different that is to what it would have been a couple of years ago, where it would have been anti-hopping is good or bad based on whether it's hopping. Freedom of association and the right to join any party that you want to would not have been part of the discussion. And the fact that it is shows that there's changes are happening. Now, if we can institutionalise the rights which Malaysians are given under our federal constitution even, never mind any others, which I, we need a lot more than there is under the federal constitution, it gives a basis for the campaigning for unions, a basis for the campaigning for left-wing parties. It's a start. And we needed to get the old coalition out the way before we could do anything else. They were such a big stumbling block to change. If we get those institutional reforms, maybe we can, it, it can help to build that space for a left-wing movement, which really just doesn't exist. People can't talk about it. People can't talk about things like socialism. People are still scared from the communist insurgency, in inverted commas, because people who were formerly, um, who were part of the communist movement in the 50s and 60s have been persecuted so much. When I was younger, books by Marx were banned. You weren't allowed to go to places like China. I had a list of countries that I was not allowed to visit that got progressively smaller as there were fewer communist countries in the world. Um, so it's, it's not that this is going to guarantee progressive change. There's a huge amount of work to be done, but we might be able to do it now. That was Sonia Randawa speaking about the election of Mahathir in Malaysia, marking a symbolic and historic victory um, in that country. Maybe, maybe they can fight for something bigger and better now. It is absolutely the end of the show. Thanks for listening to Asia Pacific Currents. I'll be back next Saturday with more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region. But coming up next is Palestine Remembered. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.